Hey church, how are you? Good, good, good. It's, uh, it is good to be here with you this morning. Um, I was on staff here for a, a while and uh, then now we're out in California, but got to be with you last week, here this week, and then um, uh, just huge blessing. In between uh, last week and this week, um, I was up in, in San Diego. Uh, Hume Lake has a satellite camp down there, and so I was speaking to a whole bunch of junior hires, and actually the Cornerstone junior hires were, were at camp this week. So it was really cool. So this has been just like a really fun week of all things Cornerstone, and uh, I'm, I'm totally digging it. It's, it was a blast. The junior hires were phenomenal and uh, full of energy. It was just a really, really good week. Um, speaking of junior hires, though, What's the deal with Justin Bieber? Huh? I mean, how long before this kid takes over the world, right? Like everywhere you go, this kid's face is absolutely everywhere. Uh, whether you're into that or not, it's, it's right there in your face. And um, just nonstop, Justin Bieber everywhere. I was in a Walmart or Target or something and uh, picked up this little uh, treasure. Um, actually, I just borrowed this from somebody because there's no way I'd buy this. That would be really weird. Um, you know you're about ready to take over the world when you've got your face on a pillow. Uh, that's why I'm not worried about like Obama or Oprah or whatever, because you don't see pillows with their face on it, because nobody wants to put their face on Oprah's. And so it's just kind of the way that it rolls. But Bieber, on the other hand, lots, lots of, of people, girls hopefully, want to put their face on Bieber's, and there's just this thing, I mean, can you imagine, I mean, how many teenage girls are just dying, they go into Walmart and they see this, and it's, Mama, may I have Bieber pillow, please? I'll do anything if I get the Bieber pillow, please, Father. If I could just, if I could just spend my night nestled into the face, I would, I would sleep so much better. If I had the Bieber pillow, please. And so there's this, odd, there's this odd link between the face of Justin Bieber and the quality of rest that millions of girls get. <laughs> what if I told you, this illustration's totally gonna work or it's gonna be like the worst thing ever. What if I told you that there's a similar link between the face of Jesus and the rest, the quality of rest that he offers everybody? That the more that you lean into the face of Jesus, the more rest that he has for your soul, for your heart, and for your mind. And for us, for us, the, the face of Jesus is found in the Word of God. For us, the face is the Word. And if you lean into the Word, you find the face. You lean into the face, and it bolsters your faith. You get more faith in your life, and you find more obedience you find more obedience in your life, I believe that you will find more rest. And that's the journey that we're gonna take this morning. 
this journey that if you start with the face of Jesus, the person of Jesus found in the Word of God, that the landing place in your life is rest. I'm hoping over the course of this morning that we just are allowed to have kind of a weight lifted off of our shoulders, that collectively we can kind of come around who Jesus is, what he's got for us, and just to take a deep breath. Because rest is what he's got for you. But it starts with pressing into his face, leaning into his word. We're doing this series called By the Book right now. And it's a handful of weeks walking through the book of Hebrews. And this is one of those amazing books in the Bible that as we just have a couple of weeks to cruise through it, it's really just kind of a flyby over some of the high points in this book of Hebrews. And if you've got your Bible this morning, if you'd open up to the book of Hebrews, chapter 4 is where we're going to eventually get. And uh, since the screens aren't up this morning, then you'll actually have to open your Bible, which is a good thing for you. Or if you've got a phone um, that has a Bible on it, then you're, you're less of a Christian, but we'll still, <laughs> I'm just kidding, you're fine. It's okay. Um, pull that out, and I know you're not like texting anybody or whatever. Just go ahead and dive in. Hebrews chapter 4 is where we're going to be. Last week as we started this series, diving into this book of Hebrews, just as a reminder, um, we, we know that the author of Hebrews is basically unknown. There are some very good guesses, but for the most part, it, they are just guesses. We don't really know who the author was. We do know that the intent, uh, the audience that's being written to, um, a large part of them would have been Jewish people who had converted into Christians. They had gone from Judaism to Christianity. But over some course of time, they had felt tempted or led to revert back to Judaism or their old ways or old traditions. Or some of them who were just deciding, maybe I can just merge Judaism with Christianity. Maybe I can kind of, kind of make a blended faith, make my own concoction here. I can pick what I like about this and what I like about that. The author of Hebrews knew also that there were some new believers in Christianity that thought that they were Christians because of the work that they were doing. And then also knowing that this letter would land in the, hears or the, the, the hands or the ears of people who um, just didn't know anything about Jesus. And so this golden thread through the book of Hebrews is just that Jesus is king. Jesus is supreme. He is sovereign. He's powerful. He's got all the authority. And the hope and the intent was to elevate people's view of Jesus Christ. That when you elevate your view of who Jesus is, when you fully get what he's done, who he is, much less the road that he's paving ahead for you, that you start to see what, what can happen in and through your life. That this really isn't just about a religion, but it's about a living, breathing relationship with the God of the universe through this Jesus. But by the time you get to chapter 3, chapter 3, the author of Hebrews gives a really stern warning. He gives a warning against unbelief that leads to disobedience. He gives this warning. He just says, okay, here is this repeat cycle that's been going on throughout history. And the cycle is your lack of belief ends up leading to you being disobedient. 
And so I gotta warn you against repeating what generations past have done. They don't believe, and that leads to them being disobedient. I mean, you, you think about it, right? The moments in your life where you struggle to obey, there may be a number of reasons why you just don't obey God, but I think a real core one comes down to the fact that you just, you don't believe him. You either don't believe really that he exists or you don't trust that his promises to provide for you or satisfy you or whatever are going to actually happen. And so you take matters into your own hands. I think we could trace back a lot of times that our disobedience is really a result of hard-heartedness. It's really a result of just a lack of trust. A scholar put it this way. He said that unbelief is not the inability to understand. It's the unwillingness to trust. Unbelief isn't the inability to understand or grasp whatever is before you. It's just the unwillingness to trust. I've seen that in my own life. When, when the rubber meets the road, that, that's a big deal. That's, that's a tough moment because I realize that it's more about my will than about my intellect. My will is just constantly fighting with God. It's, it's Paul in his words where he just goes, Lord, help, I, Lord, I, I believe, but help my unbelief. Because it's these moments where I want to take matters into my own hands, where I get hard-hearted, where I lack faith, where I lack belief. And if that happens, it leads to me to be, being disobedient. And so he gives this stark warning in chapter three, watch out for the moments where you do not believe because it's going to lead to you being disobedient. And if you're disobedient, then you will not get to the rest, the quality of rest that you need. And the author of Hebrews gives this warning by doing something kind of interesting. In chapter three, he quotes from Psalm 95 out of the Old Testament and that psalm was referencing a moment that happened with Moses and the Israelites. Okay? So author of Hebrews referencing a psalm that is talking about a moment with Moses and Israel. So these three moments in time, Moses and the Israelites, particularly where they were coming out of slavery, out of Egypt, they've seen God do these amazing, phenomenal things, and yet, it wasn't enough. They still have unbelief in their life. And it leads to disobedience. And God is angered by it. He sees their lack of faith, their hard-heartedness, and their lack of belief, and their disobedience. And he has said, I've got this promised land for you. I've got this place of physical, tangible rest for you. But because of your disobedience coming from your lack of belief, you don't get to enter the promised land. You don't get to enter the rest because of your disobedience, which stems from your lack of belief. And so what happened there in Moses' day, the psalmist later references back because the same cycle was happening in his day. Lack of faith, belief, leading to disobedience. And the same thing was happening again when the author of Hebrews is writing to reference that psalm because here again these people are having a lack of belief 
and it's leading to their disobedience, which he knows is going to lead to their lack of rest. And so he, he says, you know, here's the good news. There were some that obeyed. Not everybody disobeyed. Not everybody had the hard heart. Eventually, really, a whole generation lost out. But Joshua comes on scene, takes leadership after Moses, and leads the Israelites into the promised land. There were those that got rest. And he just says that's good news for us because the rest is still available for those who obey. And you dive into chapter 4, and we're going to take this journey that now links the rest that's available for you being found in the face and the person of Jesus Christ. Chapter 4, verse 1. He starts out, he says, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it, the rest. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them. Why? Because they, those who heard it did not combine it with faith. See, just hearing it isn't enough. It needs to be combined with faith. And this author of Hebrews knows that there is this cycle that happens. And again, if you're writing stuff down, here's the journey, here's the cycle, here's the downward spiral. Your lack of belief leads to lack of obedience, which will lead to your lack of rest. That's the pattern. That's the cycle. It happened with Moses and the Israelites. It happened in the psalmist day. It happened in the Hebrews time. And it's happening today still, right? Our moments of weakness where we don't believe lead to us not obeying, and it leads to us not resting. It leads to this turbulence in our heart and our mind and our soul because we're always wrestling over, oh man, I should have done this, or the consequences of that because we're never really overlapping with what God has for us. It's so easy to disobey, right? Super easy. I mean, I just can't count the times in a given day where I'm just tempted to disobey. If you're a parent, you know you've got kids. You didn't have to teach them to disobey. They did it on their own. I got those two little boys I was talking about last week. I mean... When they came out, I thought they were angels. They looked like angels. Oh, they're so cute and squishy. And oh, man, I love them. They were just angelic little beings until they turned two. And then I realized, oh, no, these are wicked, wicked little monkeys. <laughs> and I didn't have to teach them to be wicked. They were, ju they just, they were just so wicked. And, and now they don't trust me. They don't believe anything I say, and so they don't obey me. Don't climb up on that wall. You'll fall off. You'll split your head open. They don't trust me. They don't believe me. Don't jump around on that metal bench because you will fall and you will hurt yourself. <laughs> this one actually happened. Brody just bouncing around, and I'm stop that. You need to stop that. He doesn't believe me. He doesn't trust me. He continues to bounce around. He falls down, smashes his front tooth in on a metal bench. See, I told you. Now there's really no rest. 
because you're going to be pain and crying and all that. Now, to hammer this point home, that if you don't believe me, then you won't obey. That doesn't get you to rest. Here's what I do. If they don't believe me and they don't obey, I make them stay up all night long. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I don't do that. (laughs) Daddy needs an illustration. Stay up all night. No, I I don't do that. But my fear is, I mean, what they can kind of get away with as a toddler if they do not learn this cycle of lack of trust, lack of belief will lead to lack of obedience, which leads to a lack of rest. I'm not talking about sleep. I'm talking about internal and mental exhaustion that comes from disobedience, from just doing your own thing, from elevating yourself on the level with God. I mean, that's so exhausting. It's so tiring. And I don't want them to hit junior high or high school and have never learned that real rest, real contentment, real peace in your life comes from obedience. And the only way that you can really develop obedience is to bolster your faith and your belief. Well, that's still offered for us here, thankfully. Verse 3 through 9, I'm going to read through in one little chunk here, and it gets a little bit wordy, but hang in there with me. I'm going to do my best to like cinch it up here for us. Verse 3, he says, Now, we who have believed enter that rest, just as God has said, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Quoting from Psalm 95, talking about the moment the Israelites with Moses coming out of Egypt. And yet his work, God's, has been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. And on the seventh day, God rested from all his work. And again, in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Verse 6, it still remains that some will enter that rest, and those who formerly had the gospel preached to them did not go in because of their disobedience. Therefore, God again set a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David, as was said before. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest... God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Okay, here we go. If I could sum all of that up, here's here's kind of a a baseline thing of what I think that means. If you're writing stuff down, this may help. I believe that God set a pattern for rest that Joshua gave to his people when they entered the promised land for a season, but that Jesus offers for everybody for eternity. God set a pattern of rest that Joshua was able to give in tangible form to the Israelites by taking them into the promised land for a little while. They got some peace and some rest but that now Jesus offers this rest for everybody, this life and for eternity. God set the pattern. 
As he worked, he created the universe. He created the heavens and the earth. Everything in all creation, six days of creation, on the seventh day, he rested. After the work was done, here's the rest. Here's the peace. Here's the time to just enjoy it all. You work, you rest. There's God's general platform and standard. Then in a real tangible way, Joshua gave us the picture of that in a real tangible form as he allowed the, the, the Israelites to go into Canaan, into the promised land, and they got rest physically. They got rest from their wandering. They got rest from war, at least for a while. They got a tangible sense of rest. But what Joshua could only give people physically because of Jesus, what he did on the cross in the New Testament, he gave us this rest spiritually. And it wasn't just for the Israelites, it's for all people. Not just for this life, but for all time, for eternity. So God sets the standard. You work, here comes the rest, the time to enjoy. Joshua gave people a tangible taste of it, entering the promised land physically for a season. But Jesus now, because of what he did, because of his work, now you and I get to rest forever. That's huge. That's such a big deal. And that's why it goes on in verse 11, if you look at it. Verse 10, I'm sorry. It says, For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did from his. In other words, if you're writing stuff down, I believe it means this. Jesus finished the work so you don't have to keep working. Jesus finished the work so you don't have to keep working. I'm not talking about you don't have to do good works anymore. But I'm talking about those works are no longer a, a basis for your salvation. That you don't have to do all the right stuff and avoid all the wrong stuff in order to be good enough for God. There's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. Jesus took care of all of that. He did all the work so that now you can rest. Jesus finished the work so you don't have to keep working. What were some of Jesus' final words on the cross? It's finished. When he hung there on that cross, I mean, his final words hanging there were, it is finished. It's over. The debt that you and I owed, the penalty that needed to be paid, it's finished. It's done. It is finished. The sacrifice, the punishment, the wrath that needed to be unloaded on us for sin was done. The work was done on Jesus. He did the work. You and I couldn't do it. Only he could. And so he took the punishment. He, he paid the debt. It is finished. He didn't hang up there and say, it's partially finished. 
He didn't hang up there and say, I did my part, now you go do yours. He hung up there and said, I've paid it all. I finished it all. Game over. We're done. I did all the work for your salvation, for your rescue. I did all the work to buy you back for the Father. There's nothing you can do about that. I took care of it all. You can't add to that. You can't subtract from it. I took care of it all. It is finished. You can rest in the fact that you can't do anything to make God love you more, and you can't do anything to make him love you less. That truth and that thought should make you just go, that should just make you rest easy. It's finished. So all of this labor and striving that we do as believers, somewhere subconsciously thinking that that's meriting his favor, man, just let go of that and find rest. If trying to do the Christian life is wearing you out, we've missed it. Because he's finished it all. He finished the work so you don't have to keep working. And yet, the next verse is a little bit odd in light of that. Verse 11, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example. The Israelites not going into the promised land of disobedience. Let us make every effort to enter that rest. Well, doesn't that kind of sound like, hey, you just told us we don't have to work anymore. And then the next line is, make every effort, keep working. Okay, here's what I think is at the heart of that. If you're gonna work at anything, it shouldn't be in trying to do the right things and avoid the wrong things. If you're gonna make every effort about something, It shouldn't be about earning your salvation. If you're going to make every effort about anything, I think it needs to be about entering rest. If you're going to labor and strive over anything, then labor and strive over pressing into the relationship that you've got with Jesus and let him do the work. Does that make sense? That the more that you cling to him, lean into him and let him do the work, that is restful, but that is active on your part. It's not passive. Because the opposite's true. Again, if you're writing stuff down, your active belief leads to long-term obedience, which will lead to your eternal rest. Your active, not passive belief and pursuit of your relationship with Jesus will increase your obedience over the long haul, not just short term, which will increase this sense of rest both today and forever. It won't be such a peaceless, turbulent life, but he wants this obedience over the long haul 
Not just a flash in the pan, not just a year, not just a couple of years, but I mean over the long haul, that obedience is there that you continue to find rest. It doesn't mean that our faith is, is not kind of a roller coaster and we have good days and bad days, but it just means when you got a bad day, that's when you press more into the face. I mean, how many people do you think, I mean, are these girls that are fans of this little guy, and they're, they're, they, they would live and breathe and, and die. They got the Bieber fever. But you give them a year, the fever's going to go away, right? Yeah, amen. <laughs> but I mean, you, you sh- I mean, a real fan is going to be somebody who is now 10, but 40 years from now, they are a 50-year-old woman who is still falling asleep drooling on the face of Bieber at night. I mean, that's the real fan, and that's actually a lot more of the picture of what God's heart is for us. It's this long-term obedience, but therefore long-term rest in this life and the life to come as we just continue to be drawn back to the face of Jesus through this word right here. And that's the key. Because if your active belief leads to long-term obedience, which leads to eternal rest. If rest is what our hearts need and our souls need and our bodies need and our minds need and our friends need and our families need, then that comes by obeying him. And that obedience is really only possible when we really truly trust and believe and have faith. So how do we increase our faith. How do you increase your belief? How do you let God strengthen that so that you obey more, so that you get more rest? How do you lean in? What does that even look like? Look at verse 12 and 13 and we're done. It says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. In other words, if you're jotting stuff down, I think, I believe sincerely that the word of God is like staring Jesus right in the face. And I believe that the word of God is like allowing Jesus to stare you right in the soul. And so, if you want to bolster your faith, you got to get get to know better this person, this God that you're supposed to have faith in. And that comes through his word. John 1, 1 and 2, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 14, and then the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. The Word of God is living and active. It's the tangible Jesus that we've got. You want to get to know Jesus, you want to lean into the face of Jesus, and you press in 
to this word. It's alive. It's active. There's nothing like the word of God to be able to increase your belief. There's nothing like the word of God to identify areas in your life of unbelief. I think that's what makes it so awkward for us. I think that's why a lot of us, me included, avoid going to it sometimes. Because I know to open the word of God is to have Jesus look me right in the soul. And me kind of timidly look him right in the face. And I don't always want him to point a finger at the stuff that I know is there. We slow down like Brian allowed us to for just 60 seconds in a a service of silence. And what God starts to point his finger at in just those couple seconds, I'm like, ooh, I, I don't like this. How much more so when you dive into the word of God and, and it's, Jesus begins to speak through his word and going, this part here, I'm going to increase that. And that part here, where it's a little bit weak in you, we got to fix that. It's hard. But everything's laid bare before the eyes of Jesus in his word. And it can pierce right to the heart. You you can't give up on Jesus and hide it from him. He's already aware. And he doesn't want you to live in this tension and unrest. He wants you to find rest. And so he's going, I know that it's there. Let's not pretend like it's not. I know, you know, we both know. Let's just acknowledge it and sit down and have a conversation through my word and let me bring rest as I bring you into alignment with me in obedience. God's word has the ability to do that. God's word's so powerful. Look at this list. Listen to this. And if you want it later, I can email it to you or Facebook or or, um, put it on a blog or whatever, but so powerful. God's word brings health to things we do. God's word has healing power able to deliver us from oppression. God's word is a source of strength and growth. God's word is a continual source of life to us. God's word is a source of guidance and light, and God's word gives peace to those who love it. God's word bears fruit when it is heard and understood. God's word has authority against demonic powers. God's word brings people from death to life. God's word lived out is evidence of true discipleship. God's word is how you become more like Jesus. God's word preached allows the Holy Spirit to do amazing things. God's word build faith. God's word assures of, of our salvation when we hold fast to it. God's word is our offensive equipment for spiritual battle. God's word is cleansing if we obey it. God's word keeps us from sin if we heart it in our hearts. God's word is our counselor if we delight in it. God's word is Jesus himself. That's huge. The power of God is phenomenal because it is alive. Because it's the power of Jesus himself. If you're broken up, beat up, worn out here this morning and you need rest, Jesus wants that for you. If you're tired of playing the Christian game, the religious game, Jesus has got an answer for you this morning. If in this life and for life to come, you want to increase the restfulness of it. And it's going to come through this obedience You need to have your faith increased, your belief increased. It starts with just laying your head on the pillow. 
but with the face of Jesus on it, and it's right here. It's this book. I hope and pray that you carve out time this week. Every single day to connect with him through his word and prayer. And just see what that does to your faith and your hard-heartedness and your belief. See what that then does to your obedience. And then see what that does to how restful you feel. After a couple of weeks or a couple of months of that, things will change. And it's important. But it starts with this Jesus that we're just trying to elevate every single week. Let's pray. Would you close your eyes, bow your heads with me, and I'm going to read just a couple verses here. As we just kind of marinate a little bit in the silence this morning, these are words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 11. His own words about himself that I think are so good for us just to kind of bask in as we wrap up our time this morning. Hear Jesus saying this to you today. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And so, Lord, we, we're just going to make every effort to enter that rest that you've got for us. Thank you that it stood throughout time, that offer of rest. It comes through obedience, which comes from belief that you can increase as we just lean more and more into you. Father, regardless of the stage of, of where people are at in their spiritual journey with you, I pray that you would increase our faith and our belief and that we'd experience this rest that you have for us. We look forward to the day, someday, Lord, where that rest that you've got for us will be complete. When we are face to face with you literally in heaven someday and we breathe the biggest sigh of relief. Oh, Lord, that's gonna be the awesomest moment ever. I pray that you would unite us together as long as it's called today to encourage one another to enter that rest. It's a community project to allow each other and encourage each other along to just press into Jesus and let him do the work that we'd experience a good, strong sense of rest now, but that it would eventually lead to that full, complete rest that you have. I thank you for every person in this room and excited to see what you're going to do through us. In Jesus' name.